Okay, welcome to another episode of Out the Rabbit Hole here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We're also on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Robert Larson. This is our July 6th, 2007 edition of the show. It's 4.04 on the clock. With the release in uh, 2005 of Fooled Again, How the Right Stole the 2004 Election and Why They'll Steal the Next One Too Unless We Stop Them, Mark Crispin Miller made the compelling case that Bush Cheney's, quote, re-election was even more fraudulent than their, quote, election in 2000. Though Professor Miller will gladly debate anybody on the facts, he's had a difficult time even getting any response at all from the mainstream media. When any attention has been paid to his thoroughly researched and documented work, it's not uncommon to take the form of a hit piece. In order to answer that, he has a new paper da- paperback edition of Fooled Again, The Real Case for Electoral Reform, with a hundred new pages that debunk his critics, as well as offering insights and speculations as to the overall hostility toward the notion that electoral fraud is even occurring. Professor Miller is our uh, special guest today. Um, he is a professor of culture and communication at New York University. He is the creator of the stage show and film A Patriot Act. His previous books include Boxed In, The Culture of TV, The Bush Dyslexicon, Observations on a National Disorder, and Cruel and Unusual, The uh, Bush Cheney's New world order. Before we get started with uh, Professor Miller, I will remind you that the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. And uh, if you want to give me some feedback on the show, that's R.G. Larson at KUCI.org. Professor Miller, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you, Robert? I'm fine. How, how's things out there in New York today? They're okay. It's a beautiful day. <laughs> it's a nice day out here as well. You know, it's Bush's birthday today. I did not know that, so I guess that's <laughs> appropriate for the show. I guess it is, yeah. Yeah, and it's appropriate that it's um, two days after Independence Day because uh, there, there's not a whole hell of a lot to celebrate in, in that regard, although we, we, uh, we're going to turn that around, I, I believe, uh, firmly, especially with your work and people like you that are exposing what's going on. Well, I hope you're right. <laughs> I certainly hope you're right. <clears throat> well, we've, we've got to do it. We've got to do it. we got to at least try, and you are certainly putting a, an enormous enormous amount of effort into that. Uh, I want to start here and kind of go back over. You were on the show about uh, February 2006, uh, a few months after uh, the original edition of uh, Fooled Again came out. And so uh, you're uh, welcome back here a year and so many months later. One of the things I wanted to to talk about first about Fooled Again is... uh, of the other works out there that, that question the dogma that Bush was actually reelected, there seems to be a focus on Ohio, which, which certainly you cover as well. However, in Fooled Again, uh, you broaden the scope to, as you put it, expose the continental crime spree that was Bush's reelection. So could you tell us a little bit about some of the things outside of Ohio, you know, how some other swing states appear to have been magically swung all in one direction. Yeah, that's right. Well, just about everything illegitimate that happened in Ohio also happened in many other states, not only swing states, as a matter of fact. Uh, We're talking about uh, systematic vote flipping by the electronic voting machines, you know, people trying to vote for Kerry and having the machine shift their votes to Bush. We're talking about uh, systematic 
shortages of voting machines in Democratic precincts only. Uh, we're talking about machine breakdowns. We're talking about people showing up at the polls only to be told that they were not registered. Uh, really, you know, the, the best way to understand what, what happened was that the Bush machine used a kind of overkill, uh, that is to say, a broad range of tactics and devices to slash the Kerry vote and pad the Bush vote. This kind of thing happened in New Mexico. It happened in Arizona. It happened in Michigan and Wisconsin in North Carolina. It happened all over the place. And, and the, way it, the way it worked basically was this. Um, in states that Kerry would win, you know, where, where he was expected to win, he, would, he won by many fewer votes than he should have won. This happened in Wisconsin and in New Jersey, for example. Alternatively, in states where Bush was expected to win, he won by many more votes than he should have won. And, and this, this is something that a whole lot of people have studied uh, in detail. Their studies have all been tuned out in the way that my book was. By now, uh, the, the case is even stronger. There is more evidence of systematic fraud and vote suppression. In fact, a couple of election clerks in Cuyahoga County, Ohio, were uh, convicted and sentenced for interfering with the vote recount. Now, this is something most of your listeners, no doubt, haven't heard because this kind of thing never gets reported. And then uh, Bob Petrakis and his team, he's, a, he's, a, he's probably the, the best uh, educated expert on Ohio politics and vote fraud and election fraud out there, his people uh, went through the arduous work of studying ballots in dusty warehouses all over the state of Ohio. And in their latest book, which came out in the fall, they make, uh, they prove, I don't say they, they make a case, they prove that in precinct after precinct, Bush received several hundred more votes than were actually cast by human hands. So we're, we're talking about uh, not one magic bullet, not one smoking gun, but a whole lot of little frauds uh, and uh, vote suppression tactics that nationwide uh, helped to make it appear as if Kerry lost. And uh, I believe that it's, it's quite possible that he won by as many as 10 million votes. Uh, some people will put the number higher. Some would put it lower, but the fact of the matter is, and, and what's crucial for people to understand, is that the American people have never voted for this regime. Uh, there is evidence not only of election fraud in, in the case of the White House, moreover, in 2000 and 2004, but also uh, Congress, uh, uh, you know, the Senate in particular, uh, fell into Republican hands because of a number of very suspicious races in, in, in the off-year elections as well as, as the major elections. So, so you know, uh, I, you know, in a sense, this is good news. I mean, what I'm what I'm saying is that the American people simply have never fallen for what is in essence an extremist regime that has long since taken over the Republican Party that is not really conservative by any you know, rational definition of that word, and that has succeeded basically by representing itself as more numerous than it is, and the press 
uh, and unfortunately the Democrats have basically acquiesced in the face of this fiction. So, yeah, the Republicans haven't really won a presidential election since 1988, and uh, it somewhat coincides with their extreme drift into what you say is no longer conservatism. And so, uh, yeah, you're saying in a certain sense that's good news, that people are rejecting this real extreme uh, uh, ideology. That's right. Um, there are a lot of very good books out about the theocratic movement, there's Chris Hedges' book, American Fascists. There's um, Michelle Goldberg's book, Kingdom Coming. I mean, they're all good books. Kevin Phillips' book, American Theocracy. But I think they all make the mistake of um, representing this fringe movement as more powerful than it really is. You know, election fraud, the idea that an American election can be stolen seems to be sort of fundamentally inconceivable to a lot of people, even very intelligent people. And I don't think this is a failure of, of smarts, and I don't really think it's a result of ignorance. I think it's more explicable in psychological terms as, as a denial of something really horrific. And it's a very hard thing to accept. That is to say that we're not living in a functioning democracy, and uh, the press in particular is, is ill-equipped to, to deal with a subject that, that so radically shakes the foundations of our, of our belief system. The afterword to the new paperback of Fooled Again also, as, as you know, begins with an account of my exchange with John Kerry about all this and also includes some reference to my exchanges with Jerry Nadler, who is one of the congressmen here in New York, I bring this up to make the point that these Democrats are also unable to face the truth. And I think the best way to understand this is by invoking the analogy of the Social Democrats in Germany in the 30s. They also tended to, you know, uh, belittle the danger, to try to explain it away, uh, to come up with various rationales for why it really wasn't as serious as it was, and, you know, we all know what happened because of that. And I think that in terms of anti-democratic fervor, irrationality, and power lust, this regime is comparable to the Nazis, to the Italian fascists, to the Japanese fascists. Uh, and they therefore constitute the gravest threat that this, that this nation has ever faced. Yeah, I agree. I mean, certainly they, they haven't uh, uh, yet uh, committed the, the atrocities to the extreme that those regimes men you mentioned uh, had. But uh, th that fervor is certainly there, and the, the illegitimacy is there, and the fact that, that you make the case that they were never elected. Right. And, and, and so, yeah, the afterword to your latest edition of Fooled Again is, is actually called uh, uh, State of Denial. Mm -hmm. and, and so you just mentioned that briefly uh, a moment ago. Now, let's go into that a little more, because, see, some people, many people out there— uh, say, well, you know, John Kerry conceded, and he believes that he lost, right. but you actually caught him at a moment where he admitted otherwise, right. but later he tried to deny it, and then many people who you show them the facts, and they don't come up with good other facts to debunk it, just don't want to talk about it and just sweep it under the rug, and, and I, I think you make this case, yeah, that 
psychological denial seems to be the only explanation. Um, maybe could you go into a little more about what happened with John Kerry sure, and, sure. and some of the other people? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, on October 28th of 2005, which was just around the time the book was uh, first came out, the hardcover came out, I met with him here in New York. Uh, someone we both know uh, shares my concern about this problem, you know, the subversion of electoral democracy. And uh, brought us together at a fundraiser for him here in the city, here in Chelsea. And I handed him the book, and I said, you were robbed. And he said, I know. Uh, and we had a very, uh, we had a really an amazing exchange for about 10 minutes where he complained bitterly about the fact that his fellow Democrats in Washington refused to discuss the issue with him. He actually said to me, they're in denial. He mentioned Chris Dodd, who's now running for president, and said that uh, he tried to tell Dodd that the voting machines are a, a real serious concern. And he said, he said, Dodd said, we looked into this, there's nothing to it. The Kerry was really at a loss uh, to understand why his fellow partisans had this attitude. And he asked me if I had evidence in my book because he needed, he, he believed he could bring them around with evidence. So. You know, we talked, and uh, we our conversation ended on a very positive note. I, I was elated. I mean, I, I thought, and I still do think, that his concession was a catastrophe uh, on a par with the theft of the election itself because it handed Republicans and everybody else a, a really good reason not to believe that the election was stolen. So uh, hold on one second. Yeah. I'll be with you soon, honey. I'm on the phone now. So um, uh, I was elated because here he had just told me, you know, outright that uh, he thought it was stolen. So uh, clearly he thought, you know, that this conversation wasn't going to go any further. I mean, we didn't. I didn't say it was off the record. He didn't say it was off the record. I think he must have thought I was a journalist. Uh, but whatever, whatever was motivating him, he was very frank. So my book tour started a few days later here in New York, and I, I was naturally eager to tell everybody what he'd said, because that knocked away one of the linchpins of the argument against, you know, the case for fraud. So a week after I, I spoke to him, I was on Democracy Now!, uh, as it happens, debating with Mark Hertzgard, who had just had a piece in Mother Jones trying to make the case that there's no evidence of fraud in Ohio. The piece was uh, uh, kind of a, a hatchet job. Well, that's too strong. The, the piece took issue with my book and several other works, including the Conyers Report. So Amy Goodman had us on to sort of kick this around. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned this thing about Kerry. And uh, Hertzgard, you know, was blown away by this. And the producers of the show got very excited and sent out a press release, which is still online. I mean, if anyone can Google it, uh, I think it's called Kerry Told Me He Thinks the Race Was Stolen. And then within, uh, you know, the, naturally the Internet exploded, and there were all kinds of people writing letters of various kinds and posting and so on. And then um, within three hours, Kerry's office categorically denied we'd had the conversation. Uh, 
they admit that they admitted that I gave him the book, but they said that everything else I said he said was false, and that I'd made it up to sell the book. This was very insulting. But when I got over my peak over it, um, I realized there was something odd about it. Everybody was saying, well, he's just afraid he'll be criticized, and he's gutless, and so on. And indeed, uh, Bob Perry, Robert Perry, who's a terrific journalist, has a website called consortiumnews.com, had a story two days later, inspired by my account, quoting a longtime Kerry associate on the record, a guy named Jonathan Weiner, who said Kerry thinks the race was stolen, but he won't talk about it because he's afraid that the powers in place would, will smash him if he does. Well, I have no doubt that Kerry thinks that's why he can't talk about it. But what I took from this, and I you know, make this argument in the paperback to Fooled Again, is that it was simply evidence that Kerry himself was in denial over what had happened. Because, you know, it's one thing to understand intellectually that you've been defrauded of an electoral victory. I think it's something, something else to accept it in your heart, as it were, you know, to really face it and to face its implications, not just to, not just to, to recognize it with, the, you know, your cerebrum, but, but to take it in. Because if he did indeed take this to heart, this is a very, very serious, this is a catastrophic eventuality. If he had taken this to heart, I believe, he wouldn't care if people make fun of him or call him names or call him a sore loser and try to laugh off what he said and dismiss it as conspiracy theory. I mean, the fact that he turned around and denied that he had the conversation with me strikes me as evidence that he was in denial, too. And I don't really think, by and large, that most of the, profe- most of the career politicians in D.C., Democrats, I don't think they're really able, you know, psychologically, circumstantially, Economically, I don't think they're really able to deal with this. So they're the last people who can save us from it. And indeed, the you know further evidence of this lies in the fact that the so-called election reform bill that's pending in the House, HR 811, which is the work of a you know Democrat New Jersey congressman named Rush Holt, is just a disastrous piece of legislation. It's not going to prevent further fraud at all. And indeed, in, in, in you know, writing it, he, in the best bipartisan spirit, worked with congressmen from the Republican Party, you know, Bush supporters. Well, it seems to me that if you cannot face the truth of what happened in 2004, there's no reason to believe that you have the ability to craft a kind of reform legislation that can really protect us. That seems to me self-evident. Yeah, yeah. They, and, and it's this denial. I think you're really on to something here that, that, and Kerry is probably the best example, John Kerry, of somebody who intellectually knows this, yeah. but it's like psychologically, he, he can just cannot accept that right. we are no longer a democracy. I mean, it, and this is not about you or I or anybody thinking that, that John Kerry it would be a better president than George W. Bush, uh, you know, even if you think he would not be. It's not about that. It's about whether we're going to be a democracy in name only or That's in actuality. Right. That's right. I mean, I mean, well, I think that 
almost anyone, anyone alive, with the exception of Rudolph Giuliani, would be a better president than Bush. <laughs> but your point is well taken. I mean, I think I don't have much respect for Kerry. I, I, I think that he did great things in the Senate, uh, you know, especially his um, work on the Iran-Contra scandal and uh, BCCI. And I have reason to believe that precisely because he did such a good job with those things, he got smacked down in a big way by the right, and I think he's been exceedingly cautious ever since. Uh, so, I know, you know, I don't see him as a progressive by any stretch of the imagination. But you're quite right. It's not about that. I mean, it's not about either party. Uh, I'm not any longer a Democrat. I was. I used to be. But because of the party's, you know, dismal response to this crisis, I, I, I can't in good conscience support support them anymore. If, if they were to stand up for election reform and voting rights, I would. This is beyond party. Uh, this is beyond left and right. You know, John Zogby uh, did a poll last August. This is in the paperback of the new edition of Fooled Again as well. It's an astonishing poll because he found that 92% of the American people believe in, in an open and observable vote counting process. Now, what that means, what that has to mean is that they don't really trust voting machines because with voting machines, you cannot have a, an observable process. Mm-hmm. You know, all you can do is look at, look at a computer and look at its results. So, again, you know, the problem doesn't lie so much with the people here. It lies with the establishment. Both parties and the press are corrupt to the core. Uh, what, this, what this has to mean is that we... We absolutely must have another revolution. How that is going to happen, I have no idea. Whether it can happen at all, I, you know, I don't know. But it, it does have to happen uh, because the, the establishment won't and can't get it. Yeah, I, I, it does appear that way, that something radical has to, to happen in order to get real change on this. This is Out the Rabbit Hole, KUCI and Irvine. I'm Robert Larson, and we're talking today with Mark Crispin Miller. We're discussing his book, uh, Fooled Again, The Real Case for Electoral Reform. That's the new uh, paperba- paperback edition of his uh, book, Fooled Again, that came out in 2005. But this is an updated version with 100 new pages of documentation uh, uh, well, and actually explanation for some of the things and uh, answers to, to Mark's uh, critics. And what I, I do want to say for those of you listening who maybe think that the 2004 election was fraudulent or maybe are skeptical of that, you really have to look into this. You, you, you have to take the time to study this. And, and, I, and I do recommend Mark's book, Fooled Again, The Real Case for Electoral Reform. And uh, how many pages of uh, footnotes we have in there again? Oh, I don't know. Uh, it's quite a few. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it, they're voluminous. And it, I'm extremely careful. I mean, I'm you know, when you when you deal with the kinds of subjects I deal with, you really cannot afford to cut corners or fudge things. You know, slant slant the presentation because people will be all over you. As it happens, um, you know, despite my scrupulousness in that regard, I, I as you suggested a moment ago, I mean, I was I was attacked anyway uh, for. You know, conspiracy theorizing and overstatement and so on. And what I wanted to do in the afterward was not a, not just uh, set the record straight vis-a-vis my book. In fact, 
the discussion of my own book, I think you'll agree, is, is fairly minimal. What, what, what the afterword actually does is talk about the reception of every major work that's been written about that election since my book came out. So that also includes um, Steve Freeman's excellent book on the exit polls, Did George Bush Steal the 2004 Election? It includes Bobby Kennedy's uh, landmark articles in Rolling Stone. It includes Greg Pallast's Armed Madhouse, which includes a very good chapter on New Mexico and the theft of the election there. It includes the work of Bob Fitrakis, the guy I mentioned before in Ohio, who has three books out on, on the election in that state. A guy named David Moore, who was actually a director of the Gallup organization, and last fall came out with a superb book on the 2000 election and the theft thereof in Florida. It got no reviews. If anything, some of these guys got treated worse than I did. I wanted to show across the board that there has been, conscious or unconscious, uh, a, um, a real, you know, a real burial, a real suppression and misrepresentation of all these works, which continue to come out, by the way, uh, because the evidence is so copious that there, you know, we just keep unearthing more and more of it. Yeah, and you talk about the the left leaning press, and and they seem to be mired in this denial that we we talked about that seemed to be John John Kerry happening to John Kerry psyche that that places like the Nation magazine and Mother Jones, and they really uh, came out strongly against you and others. And uh, could you talk about a couple of those uh, pieces or, or one in particular sure. and answer yeah, yeah, answer their really their shocking. critique? These are, these are people almost all of whom I know personally and and have actually always respected. I mentioned Mark Hurstgard and Mother Jones. His piece was the most civil. Uh, he, as I mentioned before, tried to argue that there's no evidence of election fraud in Ohio, and this is in the face of my book, and more importantly, the Conyers Report, uh, What Went Wrong in Ohio. People can get that in paperback and Bob Fitrakis's work, um, and as I, you know, demonstrate meticulously in the afterword, Mark's case is based on half-truth and innuendo, mainly based on the say-so of a few Democrats in Ohio he spoke to. Now, the other people who tried to debunk the so-called theory of election fraud did substantially the same thing. They, f- they found a Democrat or two in Ohio interviewed that person, and then just basically accepted the assertion that, you know, according to this Democrat, there was no fraud here. Ergo, the evidence means nothing, which strikes me as journalistically, you know, pathetic. Uh, Someone else who did tremendous damage was Russ Baker of TomPayne.com, who basically parachuted into Ohio for a couple of days and heard what he wanted to hear and then wrote it up. The nation, uh, their whole history of dealing with this subject has been very peculiar, and I go into that in detail in the paperback of Fooled Again. David Korn, uh, you know, several times dismissed the possibility of fraud. Alexander Coburn was just out of control on the subject. And now Andrew Gumbel uh, of the London Independent writes on the subject for the nation, and he, too, uh, just does a very, very sloppy job. I debated him in Berkeley uh, last year, and I talk about that in the afterward. 
all these were the, the big, the, the most egregious of them all was this guy Farad Manju, who writes for Salon, who writes on business and technology, and for some reason was given the beat, the you know election fraud beat. Now the weirdest thing about all this is that at least in Manju's case and Russ Baker's case, I actually used their work in Fooled Again to make my argument. In fact, if people take a look at the acknowledgments in Fooled Again, they'll see that I acknowledge Farad Manju for his excellent coverage of election fraud prior to the 2004 election. He did some very good work that I, you know, relied on and that I thanked him for. Then, after Election Day, all of a sudden, on the left, the subject is taboo. And the Salon and the Nation, etc., are all, you know, basically struggling as hard as they can to flee, flee the position that I took. Uh, it's almost as if, you know, some instinct told them, hey, you're not going to get any brownie points with the establishment by endorsing such a crackpot position. So in order to be taken seriously, it seems to me, these magazines and journalists uh, basically took the acceptable, quote, moderate, unquote, view that arguments such as mine were way, way out there. In fact, uh, Farad Manju dismissed both me and Bobby Kennedy Jr. as representing the far left, like we were with the Shining Path gorillas or something. <laughs> this is completely preposterous. There's nothing left-wing about demonstrating that elections have been stolen, you know? Mm -hmm. But in, the, in, in this sort of craven mindset that I, I do believe I, I capture pretty accurately, and then afterward, uh, that's, that's, that's way left. And a sensible position is to say, oh, well, this kind of thing goes on, it always has, both sides do it, blah, blah, blah. The fact is, what the evidence suggests is that the fraud and vote suppression that went on in 2004 and again in 2006, you know, which yes. the afterward also talks about in detail, all benefited one party. It all benefited the Republican Party. To face this is to understand that this incarnation of the GOP must engage in systematic fraud. They must. Otherwise, they could not rule because their agenda is too extreme. So it's a mistake to relegate this to the traditional category of the sort of fraud that everyone commits, like Mayor Daley in Chicago and Lyndon Johnson in Texas. You know, granted, that stuff has always gone on. Yes. But there's a distinction that has to be made. First of all, no one has ever stolen votes on, a, on any scale remotely resembling this. This is vast. This is huge. Secondly, no one has done it with such technological sophistication, because with, particularly with these paperless voting machines, you can alter vote counts without leaving a trace. But most important, it, the motivation for the subversion of democracy is very different in this case. I mean, daily you know, machine politicians of all kinds have stolen elections in the past for rational reasons. That is to say, not admirable reasons, but, you know, they wanted power, they wanted money, the usual stuff. Well, certainly this regime wants power and money. But there's something else at work in this case. Uh, between the neoconservatives clustered around Dick Cheney and the Christianists 
of whom George W. Bush himself is one, and who are numerous throughout the military now, and now seem to have a majority on the Supreme Court. Uh, between the two of those factions, which work very closely together, we're talking about subverting democracy itself for the purpose of subverting democracy. There's a hatred here of uh, not only the United States and its constitution, but a hatred of the whole Enlightenment tradition that the nation's founding was based on. That's why they're so irrational. That's why they're so you know, exuberantly, defiantly irrational that they just trash the findings of science and they reject the conclusions of professional intelligence agents when they don't like those conclusions. This is a real crackpot movement. Mm-hmm. You And you uh, talk about that extensively in your previous book, Cruel and Unusual, Bush That's Cheney's right. New World Order, and you really go into the psychology behind that. It's a, a, I, I highly recommend that book as well. And, and I just want to get back to here on... on uh, Fooled again, the real case for electoral reform. About anybody who has read those critiques of Marx's work and others who have claimed that the 2004 election was stolen, and you thought, well, that it had been debunked, you know, check out uh, the new edition of Fooled Again, the real case for electoral reform. And Mark has answers to all of those uh, those people who are making those claims that that this is crackpot, that the election wasn't stolen. So, so you really got to inform yourself and educate yourself about that. Um, this is out the rabbit hole. KUC. And Irvine. I'm Robert Larson, and we're having a discussion today with Mark Crispin Miller and discussing his latest book, Fooled Again, The Real Case for Electoral Reform, and uh, a new edition of that with uh, several new pages of new material. And uh, Mark, uh, we're going to go to a little musical break here, and can you stay around for about another 20 minutes after that? Sure thing. All right. It's, it's great talking to you. We'll be right back with uh, Mark Crispin Miller here on Out the Rabbit Hole. <laughs> 